We're just going to jump right into, and, and the reason I bring that is because she mentioned the passage today. Um, bright, but what she doesn't know is if I hadn't shortened today's passage, we'd be here till Thanksgiving. So I actually had to cut those verses out for next week. So don't be mad at me. Um, <clears throat> week eight, the return of Jesus, part two. All of the sermons in first, uh, Second Peter three will be about are about the return of Jesus. Um, and a subtitle for this is Lanthani Thelontos. I'm going to teach you a Greek phrase today, and when we're done, you're going to know it. You're going to be able to say it and translate it. Lanthani Thelontos. So this is a quote from Paul Simon, that song, The Boxer. Some of you that are um, 103 might know this song. Um, Still a man believes what he wants to believe and disregards the rest. Boy, he sure had it right. Have you ever had a disagreement with someone who refused to acknowledge important, obvious points in your argument? And we've all been on both sides of that, right? Sometimes we have refused to acknowledge obvious points and sometimes others. Every human in history has been on both sides of that problem. Sometimes stubbornness to acknowledge the obvious starts with ignorance. And in that situation, there's actually hope because information and persuasion could help, right? But what about when someone knows the information but still refuses to acknowledge obvious truths? Can you relate to this? Have you ever been in that situation with someone else? The problem there isn't a lack of education or a lack of knowledge. It's actually a problem with morality, human depravity. Let me just tell you something. Information cannot cure depravity. This might be the saddest quality of human depravity when we willfully reject obvious spiritual truth. And why is that? Well, because spiritual truth sometimes can be humiliating. (laughs) It can be troubling. Sometimes spiritual truth comes along with the added burden of requiring costly changes in your life. Courageous choices and humbling acceptance. Sometimes truth can be so frightening, we choose ignorance, even willing and ready to risk inevitable potential consequences. The cost of willful ignorance is particularly high when it comes to spiritual truth, because those consequences can be permanent and eternal. 2 Peter chapter 3 Verses 5 through 7. You can see originally it was 5 through 9. You can see that, but I, for your benefit. (laughs) For they deliberately overlook, that's the Greek phrase, they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And by, me, and by means of, those, of these, of these the, the word and the water, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But the same word 
But the same word, the heavens and earth now exist, are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment. I think I might have miscopied the verses. Oh, let me read it again. For, the, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens and the earth list, uh, existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water, through water, by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment for the destruction of the ungodly. <clears throat> you can tell I made a late change, right? <laughs> Sorry about that. I want to look at the history of this passage. I've entitled it Choosing Ignorance. Lanthani Thelontos. That Greek word, those words put together, that phrase is deliberate, intentional ignorance. Remember now, this letter, as were all of them, is being read in community in front of everyone associated with that particular local gathering of believers. And Peter, as it's being read out loud, he's accusing these false teachers of Lanthani Thelontos, willfully denying what is clearly obvious. And why do they do that? So that they can cling to their other beliefs. <clears throat> remember, their argument was, if you remember as we talked about in the previous weeks, that there has never been a monumental act of God in nature. So there never will be. We called that uniformitarianism, right? Everything has been a naturalistic, uniform, slow, steady churn, and it will always be that way. There's no catastrophic moment coming from God. To justify their lifestyle, which was immoral, and their beliefs in God, they had to lanthani thelontos, deliberately ignore obvious truth. There's little desire these false teachers have for virtue, for knowledge, self-control, stability, reverence, brotherly affection, and love. Remember, we talked about those are the fruits of, the, of faith that Peter describes. They loved this world too much for those things. They loved their sin. They loved the financial gain they received from being false teachers. The return of Jesus is more than inconvenient for them. It would be cataclysmic for them and all they hold dear. <clears throat> Denying possible judgment provided them a false sense of freedom in their lives to, see how, to live how they see fit. They deny any future event of judgment by their lanthani thelontos, their willful ignorance, and they do this by ignoring obvious history. See, they knew the truth. This wasn't a case of not knowing what the Bible says. They just deliberately choose to reject it, suppress it. It's a willful choice to close their eyes to what is real. What they were doing, really, was to deny the fact that God has authority in the world and over them in everything. What was it that Peter accused them of deliberately ignoring? Two obvious things that he brings up, and these will be controversial today. At least they should be obvious. So that's the history of the passage. It's pretty short. Let's look at the spiritual side of this. What about God and what does he do? I've entitled this Water Everywhere. This is going to be fascinating stuff for believers and maybe controversial for others. First thing I want you to see that, that he says that they willfully ignore is that the world was created out of water. 
Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It's a fascinating passage in Genesis. Genesis 1, the creation account. But see, the first thing they choose to ignore is evidence the world was created through a monumental intervention by God. The earth was in chaos, covered with water, until God intervened by his word, bringing order to the chaos. And for those with hearts that love truth, this can be a stunning, beautiful, encouraging affirmation of the authority of God's word in your life. Did you know that even ancient cultures who didn't believe in a spiritual world could clearly see by the physical evidence that earth originated as a watery chaos? Even today's secular scientists, many of them, embrace a model of earth in the early stages that includes chaos and water. Evidence for this is everywhere. We'll get to some of that later. This isn't just something in Scripture. It's actually supported by archaeology, science, logic, and overwhelming statistical probability. For example, did you know that shale, sandstone, and limestone, those three are the largest rock deposits throughout the earth, and they exist in the lowest valleys and the absolute highest mountaintops? These global rock deposits cannot exist anywhere without one particular ingredient. Massive amounts of water. They are sedimentary rock. More on that later. But to hold this uniformitarian philosophy that there's never been anything big that happened, don't worry about it, judgment's not coming, the day of the Lord is not coming, Jesus isn't returning, they willfully, irrationally, unreasonably ignore something major definitely happened in the very beginning. So that's the first thing I want to see on the spiritual side is God created the earth out of water. The second thing I want you to see is Peter says they also ignore the fact that God judged the earth by water. Genesis chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst, for, great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were opened. The second monumental intervention that they, Lathenai Philontos, willfully ignore, willfully choose ignorance, is God's judgment through water. So just to refresh, because I remember you used to study this a lot in college. I used to be on a, on a debate team, and we would debate other uh, college students our age, and we would travel around to other secular universities. It was a lot of fun, and I learned a lot. And um, I just started refreshing my thoughts on the flood idea. I read dozens of articles, uh, not Christian articles, but articles from, like, the Smithsonian Institution, Smithsonian Magazine, Time Magazine, ABC News, and tons of science journals, just digging back some of the old stuff I used to remember and read. Did you know that this is true? Scientific consensus today actually mostly embraces the reality of some sort of cataclysmic flooding in Earth's history. Those who reject any evidence of a massive catastrophic flood actually hold a minority opinion. Even among secular scientists, it's a minority opinion. The theory now that is debated about a cataclysmic flood is how big was it? 
Was it local? Was it global? How long did it last? And where did all the water come from? Those are the things that people try to wrestle with, even in the secular realm of science. Not, oh, there was never a flood. Well, there's clearly evidence of some sort of massive flood. How did it happen? Did you know global fossil and strata evidence indicates that there has been a cataclysmic flood? And it is the most likely, in fact, and many secular scientists say this, some sort of cataclysmic flood was most likely the explanation for what we all kind of could see when we see the globe is this continental drift theory, right? It looks like South America and Africa could have fit together at one point. And, you know, you've ever looked at that, you could see it, right? And many people believe that there was some sort of cataclysmic flood that caused this continental drift. Archaeologists tell us almost every ancient culture that we have the ability to study through archaeology, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Asians, and indigenous peoples from across the world, from American Indians to people in Australia, all of them have embraced some sort of catastrophic flood story. Look, there is so much more I could do on this topic, but we don't have time today. Like I said, Thanksgiving is coming. So here we go. We have two monumental disruptions by God intervening into nature, and both have significant archaeological, scientific, and cultural evidence. And these false teachers, and we like to think about ancient people in the first century as stupid. No, they weren't stupid. They may not have had as much information as we did. But there was plenty of information, and we'll get into that later, too. These false teachers intentionally have chosen to dismiss both of these events to cling to their false teaching. They did this as part of their effort to label the return of Jesus as another myth. Otherwise, it would be catastrophic for them spiritually. Ironically, if you think about it, there is a rational uniformitarian pattern that they ignore. And what is that uniformitarian pattern? that God has a history of a miraculous intervention. <laughs> the pattern provides great benefit to humanity, this God intervening pattern. When God restores creation or fixes it, restores it to his glory after humanity has taken years and years to mar it. And as destructive, chaotic, and selfish as depraved man is, it is God's pattern of intervention that actually holds it all together. So that's the spiritual side. What about us? What are we supposed to do with this, and why and how do we do it? Faith, or Lothanai Thelontos. Siding with reason should be a rational place for us to go. This was the sermon preview this week. Choosing to ignore the gospel won't remove your desperate need of it. Would you guys agree with that? I mean, people have the right to do whatever they want, but ignoring the gospel doesn't remove your need of it. Today, this is still the single greatest choice that every human must make. Is what God says about judgment true? And if it is, what should I do about it? Sometimes people just ignore the question altogether. Or sometimes people just answer in the negative with full voice. <laughs> Many have decided that it's not a problem. 
Some are secular atheists, but many who claim to follow Jesus, at the same time they reject his teachings about judgment. Look at this quote from C.S. Lewis. I mean, if you want to really be challenged and also be encouraged about your faith, read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Probably the best Christian apologetics book ever written in modern history. Here's what he says. Reason alone, apart from God's sovereign grace, has little appeal to the depraved human heart. Boy, isn't that good? C.S. Lewis is really smart. He really is. This is important, though. Even if people choose to willfully ignore, we, as believers, should never scoff at them. That's what the false teachers were doing. Remember we talked about that last, last week? They disagreed with what the church taught, and they would scoff at those and mock those who believed differently. We should not do that. And some even do that to us as believers today. Frankly, some believers do it to others. It's a tragedy when God's children act like that toward other people. That is not our job. That is not being a royal priest with proclamation, integrity, and industry. But I get it. This is a spiritual reality that is a hard one for human nature to accept, is it not? That our fate is in the hands of a God? One that we can't see, that we've never met. But without God intervening through the gift of faith, we would all make, let me, let me make sure you understand this, without God intervening with the gift of faith, we would all make the same exact choice. You're not so smart because you believe in Jesus. That's grace. However, the reality is that ignoring truth doesn't absolve you from the consequences that come as a result. But let's look at a couple things. First, the thing I want to look at is this idea of scientific reason. Scientific rationale. A couple of verses for you. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Believers can read that, and there's something viscerally inside your heart that says, oh, yeah, I get what that means. Romans 1.20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they, people, are without excuse. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to try to provide for you in about 10 minutes, which is about time we have left, a broad overview that should comfort you about your faith in God's word. Are you ready? This isn't exhaustive by any means, and some in here might disagree, and that's okay. I just love to have dialogue about these things. It's so much fun. But let me just say, the evidence for an intelligent creator who brought order out of a watery chaos is overwhelming. As a matter of fact, I would submit to you, in all rationability and reasonability, it is statistically unreasonable to believe that complex world systems go from chaos to order without intelligent intervention. Now, that position might be reasonable for you before you have the data that I'm going to share, but it requires lathenai thelontos, willful ignorance, to cling to it afterwards. 
It's the same thing that Peter described about the false teachers. Actually, it requires more faith to dismiss the idea of God's intervention than it does to believe in a resurrection of Jesus. That's just one event. Believing the world came to order from chaos on its own is millions and millions of events. What it requires to hold that concept, like these false teachers did, it requires that you believe that you have faith in, almost a religious faith in, time plus random destructive forces working together in unison to have the capability to bring order out of chaos. Time plus random destructive forces working in unison together to bring order out of chaos. But here's the problem with that. No scientist, Christian or or secular, has ever observed, using the scientific method, ever observed order emerging from natural entropy or sudden destruction on its own. The only thing we have observed is that entropy, things breaking down from complex to simple, and destruction, hurricanes, earthquakes, only bring chaos. We have never witnessed it scientifically. Wow, do you see that explosion? Boom. And all of a sudden, there's eight Starbucks locations, just like that. (laughs) It'd be great, but it doesn't happen. It's like believing nuclear weapons, like the ones we dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, rebuilt cities that destroyed them. It's like believing millions of years of explosions and violent weather and scorching sun or brutal ice ages and the laws of entropy work together by random chance to gather together and assemble all the raw materials necessary to build an airplane that maybe all those materials are just scattered in one field. They all work together and suddenly after millions of years, boom, there's a Boeing 787. It would also require believing that somehow through time and random chance and explosions and and chaotic forces, all those parts could be gathered together in a field on their own. Church, let me tell you something. The universe, this world, is far more complex than a Boeing 787. Look, I could give examples all day, but instead, here's what I'm going to do. If you want to research this more on your own, I will direct you to astrophysicist Hugh Ross. He's my favorite astrophysicist. Yes, I have a favorite astrophysicist. I'm a geek. I get it. He's my favorite. You can Google him at Reasons to Believe or on YouTube, or you can read one of his many books. My personal favorite that I've actually bought and given to many of you is called More Than a Theory, Building a Testable Model for Creation. That's my favorite. That book right there, he uses the scientific method to present the most compelling, testable model for creation I've ever encountered. So that's scientific reason. Let's talk about spiritual reason. Put a verse in there, Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Let me explain why I've split science and spirit. See, science cannot be and is not the only explanation or reference point to understand the world we live in. It's part of it, but it's only half of it. No scientific experiment, none, can inform the human heart 
about what is right and what is wrong. Think about that. Science cannot even begin to answer the questions of morality. Science cannot, by any type of experiment, label evil or judge what is good. Science can't explain why humanity has a dark, depraved history of racism, bigotry, abuse, murder, rape, violence, and war. And I think we can all agree, right? Even the most ardent atheist would agree all those things that I just listed are evil, no matter what anyone says, right? I mean, nobody's going to try to make the case, nah, rape's fine. Science can't answer those questions. Yet like the false teachers, many will unreasonably insist there's no such thing as an absolute moral law in the universe, even though we all know clearly there are things that are always evil and always wrong. Science can't answer that question. Concepts of a spiritual judgment like the flood provide a rational, comforting perspective on the fate of evil in this world. Can you imagine how much worse human history would be, what we would be capable of without an absolute moral authority? To believe that requires lanthani felontas, willful ignorance, the same willful ignorance Peter ascribed to the false teachers. See, evil naturally creates when we experience it, when we see it, and this is something science can't answer, evil naturally creates in every human heart a desire for justice, does it not? Even if it's just justice for our own selves or for other groups of people or for countries, even if it's our own brand of justice, evil is what gives us, you know, you ever had that thirst for justice? You know where it comes from? Evil. You see evil and you want justice. Those who lanthani felantas willfully ignore it, they crave justice just like anyone else but without God. Placing hope, and this is where it's ironic, they place hope for justice in the same depravity that they want judged in other humans. They hope somehow, and this is whether you're liberal or conservative or libertarian, this is somehow like if their ideas are adopted, it will usher in a cultural utopia that we all crave. They hope if there's a different economic system adopted by global governments or a different governing philosophy or a different political movement led by a particular person or maybe it could just be a better group of judges in the legal system that somehow these actions can make a difference. Somehow, they have to think that humanity can somehow finally get it right. But to do that, you have to dismiss thousands of years of humanity getting it wrong. <laughs> but over millions of years in time, by random chance, we could just stumble into the perfect utopian society. To me, faith in humanity to evolve to perfect justice, that in of itself is hopeless and irrational. It's depressing considering all the historic evidence. Here's what I would say. Is there human justice? 
from time to time? Of course there is. But even the best justice brought about by human hands is always temporary, is it not? It's inconsistent at best, and it's unfulfilling even on its greatest day. Through faith, our acknowledgement of God's pattern of intervention, especially spiritually, enables us to interact with this world in a reasonable, rational way. Keeps us from losing our head. Can I just put it that way? See, our faith in the power of God makes us, makes, I think, it makes far more rational, logical sense than believing that this world is merely a natural, random occurrence through time and chaos. For us, it's the reasonable conclusion to believe what Jesus says about his return. The obvious supports that reality. So, we live in anticipation as followers of Jesus and preparation for a third monumental intervention by God when his justice will prevail. More on that next week, including the part about a day is a thousand years and a thousand is a day. Just a fascinating statement. Here's the good news. He's already done it twice. At creation and with the flood. It is a much more reasonable conclusion than to lanthani felontas deliberately dismiss and overlook what is obvious. Heavenly Father, we struggle from time to time trying to understand the world, not just the physical science of the world, but the, mor the moral aspects of it. We see things, we want justice, we want things different, and as you have given us the ability to, we can labor to, to bring about justice, to stand up for the oppressed, to help the needy, to live with integrity. You give us that responsibility as royal priests of proclamation, integrity, and industry, so we don't shirk that. We don't think to ourselves, ah, let God handle it. I'm just going to live my life. No, you have called us to engage the world. But Father, every once in a while, we just need to be reminded of your power and your promise that you have intervened in the past and when the time is right, you will intervene again. So until that day, help us to fight the temptation to lanthani felantos, to deliberately overlook what is obvious. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you guys. Next week, part three.